Hey, I'm excited to be here this morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Luke chapter number 10 today. Luke chapter number 10. And uh, this week I've been praying for us together uh, this time this morning, just that God would help us to see what he sees within our hearts. Sometimes we don't see ourselves like we ought. And I'm just asking if God would just help us see ourselves today. And, uh, and this really is, is, is what I want to know from God. I, I want to know, God, am I a good neighbor? Uh, am I who you created me to be? Uh, am I a good neighbor? I'm not talking about Mr. Rogers. I'm talking about uh, a neighbor, to be a neighbor to those that I come into contact with. Uh, when I was a kid growing up, uh, my favorite teacher, I think, in elementary school was uh, in the third grade, I had a lady named Mrs. Reynolds. And Mrs. Reynolds was a little short, redheaded lady, and she was passionate about teaching. And it was a unique year for me because uh, all of the years of school, I'm talking about not from kindergarten to sixth grade, I'm talking about kindergarten through twelfth grade, my favorite subject in school was P.E. Uh, because I always got an A in P.E. And uh, I was good at P.E. And, uh, and so that was always my favorite thing. But when I got to the third grade, I've got to make a confession. The favorite part of my third grade year was actually story time. It was not P.E. Because I had a teacher that was an incredible storyteller, uh, Mrs. Reynolds. She was a big Miami Dolphins fan, and we would sing Miami Dolphins and all that kind of stuff. But she would tell stories every day. She'd take a 20-minute, and, and, and I would put my head on my little desk there, and she would start telling stories. And, and, and there was something that happened that year that really pierced my heart. I'm, I'm grateful for her. And, uh, and, and, you know, I think about even, even today with preachers, because I'm one of those, uh, uh, but, but but a lot of times what happens to us is, is, is you know, you'll preach a text from, from God's Word and, and, and people remember the stories, you know, uh, uh, the stories that are told. And a lot of times we forget the actual truth. Now, that doesn't mean, again, if, if, if we're telling stories and we're not applying the truth and we're just storytellers, don't want to do that. However, uh, uh, when you're talking about stories, what happens to us, uh, I, I was reading this week and, and, and physio-neurologists say that this is what happens in our brains, right? In our brains, if all we hear is just a PowerPoint presentation with truth, it engages a portion of our brain. Uh, but when we can make application, when we can tell personal stories, what happens to us is it ignites a whole other section of our brain. So more of our brain gets engaged in what's happening, and so we remember those things a lot better. And so Jesus Christ, obviously, he created our brains, and so he knows how we work, and so throughout his ministry, he used so many stories, and he was a fantastic storyteller, and the reason he would do that is so that he could take a very practical illustration, a very practical story, and, and, and make application. We call them parables, but he would make spiritual application with a practical story. He'd say, hey, look at those birds up there. Good night. Look at those things. You know, they're, they're just flying all over the place. Not even a worry in the world. And he talks about the subject of worry. I mean, he would use practical stories to teach spiritual lessons. And I'm grateful to God 
for that. And so, and so today is no different. He's talking about a story. He tells a story, and, and the reason for the story really is twofold. Number one, uh, the first reason for the story he tells today, I'm going to go ahead and give it away up front. Uh, the first reason for the story <clears throat> is to help us understand our shortcomings, number one, that all have failed and fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody is perfect among us. And so we all have failed and fallen short, number one. But number two, he also wants us to understand how we can be a good neighbor. So Luke chapter number 10, verse 25 and following, we're talking about being a good neighbor. So the Bible says in a lawyer, and by the way, when, when, when we're talking about this story here before, because I've already gotten there, so, so uh, and a lawyer, this lawyer we're talking about is not the same as like a Morgan and Morgan lawyer. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about students of the Old Testament, students of the Old Testament law. And so, and so he says, and a lawyer stood up who's been studying the Old Testament scriptures And he put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How does it read to you? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. Verse 29. But wishing to justify himself, he said to Jesus, And who's my neighbor? So Jesus replied and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, and they stripped him, and they beat him. And he went away, leaving him half dead. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, who was on a journey, came upon him. And when he saw him, he felt compassion. And he came to him, and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. And he put him on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands? And he said, the one who showed mercy toward him. Then Jesus said, go and do the same. And this, this morning we're looking at a very familiar story from God's word. And uh, you have this fellow that comes along and he's actually putting the Lord Jesus Christ to the test uh, And that's what the religious leaders were doing of that day. Uh, They were trying to put Jesus to the test. And uh, and they asked a question. He said, said, hey, uh, uh, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and And so, again, the motive for the question was not right. But at the same time, the question is a great question that I would encourage all of us to ask the question. And the the question even goes on and says, how have you answered that question? Not just to ask the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? But how do you answer that question? Each one of us, how do we answer 
that question. Because at the end of the day, there is a heaven. John chapter 14 and verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, In my Father's house are many dwelling places, and if it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And, and, and so there is, in fact, a heaven. There's also a hell. The Bible says in Mark chapter number 9 and in verse number 43 and following, it says, if your hand causes you to stumble, in Mark chapter number 9, verse 43, uh, then cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell into the unquenchable fire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having your two feet to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your eye causes you to stumble, throw it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than having two hands to be cast into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And so there is, in fact, a heaven and a hell. And so the question is, where will you be? How? What does it take? What must I do to inherit eternal life. And so Jesus actually answered the question with a question. It's interesting. Uh, Jesus answered the question with a question because he knew the motive of the heart, and so he was just questioning him, and he was leading him through his questioning. But he said, hey, what does the Bible say? Which is an incredible, that's the right place to turn, by the way. What, what does God's Word say? Because at the end of the day, it really doesn't matter what you think or what I think, but the question is, is what does God say? The, the, the great I am, the one who was and is and is to come. What does he say about eternal life? What does his word say about eternal life? Because that's really what makes all the difference in the world. Because there's a lot of people that think a lot of different thoughts. A lot of folks just believe that, man, as long as I'm a good dude, I'm telling you, there's a lot of good dudes and there's a lot of good gals that are going to spend eternity in hell because they've never called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not saved by our good works. The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, that Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price for my sin. He's the one that paid the price for your sin. He's the one that shed his blood on the cross, and he's the one that said it is finished. It's been paid in full. My sin debt was paid by Jesus on the cross. I can't pay one cent more. It's been paid in full, and I must receive what he has done the gift by complete faith in Jesus Christ. God, help us understand. You know, this fellow responds, and he responds to the question. He says, what does God's Word say? Well, and he goes on, and he responds, and he responds correctly. What does God's Word say? Well, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And he's quoting directly from Scripture. Now the problem is, the problem is, is he's not one that's actually fulfilling the law. In fact, when you're talking about what he's talking about here, uh, 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 I believe he's a man. I believe that he's a man that's like many other people on this planet. And that, and that, hey, listen, you know how far they're going to miss heaven? I've heard it said this way. You know how far they'll miss heaven? About 18 inches, because he has it in his head, but it's never gotten to his heart. Oh, I believe. Well, James said, the, the demons believe too. 
In fact, James says it like this. Listen to what James says in James chapter number 2 over there in verse number 14 through 17. James chapter 2, verse 14 through 17. And the Bible says this. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, hey, go in peace and be warmed and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, then what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead being by itself. Some suggest wrongfully that James is presenting a work salvation, and that's not what James is doing. In fact, James was one in the New Testament in the book of Acts that stood and said, hey, we're saved by grace through faith, it's not by works. He understood what it took to be saved. But he also knows that there's a lot of folks that make a confession with their lips, but their lives have never been changed by the Holy Spirit of God. He's not suggesting that you can work your way unto salvation. He's saying, hey, you're not working for your salvation, but let me tell you, if you really have faith, you will work from your salvation because the Holy Spirit of God will indwell and manifest himself within you and through you. He changes you from the inside out. And so God, help us seriously ask the question, <clears throat> what does it take to inherit eternal life? And what do I believe? You know, this lawyer was sitting there, and I could just see the scene as he's putting Jesus on trial, and, and Jesus turns the table. But when Jesus asked the question, what, what does the law say? And, and he says, oh, love, your, love the Lord your, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And, and, and I could just see him when Jesus said, you've answered correctly. And I mean, he was strutting while he was sitting down. He was so proud. I got it, I got it. And then Jesus said, go and do like, go, go, go and do it. Go and do it. He hadn't done it. So what happens is, <clears throat> rather, than, rather than confessing that, you know what? I've fallen short. Which is, by the way, what the law is intended to do. The law is intended to be a mirror to help us understand that we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not there so that we might attain our salvation through good works. Nobody ever has. Nobody ever will. Anybody that's ever been saved has been saved because they're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's how they've always been saved, always will be saved, by grace, through faith, not by keeping the law. So verse number 29, in verse number 29, the Bible says, but wishing to justify himself, which is oftentimes what we like to do, is we like to say, man, I'm really not that bad of a person. He wanted to justify himself, he said, and, and who is my neighbor? You see what he's doing? He's looking for a loophole. He's saying, man, either, either I, can, I can plead ignorance, and if I plead ignorance, then I can also plead innocence. And the fact of the matter is, you're neither one. You're just, you're just neither one. You've fallen short. Don't try to justify, but rather just simply confess. So how do I be a good neighbor? So Jesus begins, and he wants him to understand, this is, this is what I'm talking about. And so he says, hey, it's all about proper perception. How can I be a good neighbor? You've got to have proper perception to be a good neighbor. 
And so he tells this story, and in this story he presents several different people, and these people, what they do is they help us understand our own selves, because sometimes we don't understand even our own selves. And so he says, hey, first of all, first of all, there's some robbers. And, and, and in this story, when you look at the robbers in the story, they looked at people with a perception that was really messed up. They looked at people with a perception that simply said people are simply objects to be exploited. That's all they are. They're just objects to be exploited. And so he says there was a man that was walking down the road and these fellows jumped on him to beat the tar out of him and took him for everything he was worth. And they just looked at him and said, hey, whatever you can do for me, your only value to me is to the extent that you can help me. And that was their approach to people. And we all look at this story and we say, man, these robbers need to have the stew beat out of them. I mean, I don't know how you look at it, but I, I'm like, they're, they're flat wrong. What's wrong with those guys jumping on somebody like that? But when you look at the perception that they had of people, none of us in here, I really don't believe. I, I, I think, I mean, I, I was, just, I was <laughs> just looking around our congregation today. I got new glasses. I can see everybody today because they're for real. And, uh, and, uh, I don't, I, don't believe, I don't believe that anybody in here this past week has, has, has gone to somebody down the road and beat them and left them for dead and took their wallet and all their money. If you have, please confess now, all right? I, I don't think most of us have done that. However, however, I wonder how many of us have treated people as valuable only to the extent that you can help me. And quite frankly, as long as you're not helping me, you're worthless to me. I wonder how many of us have the same perception as the robbers along the way, only to the extent that my needs get met. It happens every day. It happens in different relationships every day. It can happen in the workplace employers look at employees the only value you bring to my table is to the extent that you make me a dollar boyfriends and girlfriends and relationships only value you bring to me is what you can do for me now it happens it happens in restaurants you go to a restaurant a lot of times it happens with waiters and waitresses, and I know I go there occasionally. Why do I go there occasionally? Because I believe that's an incredible mission field for the church, but I think that sometimes we go in there and we treat them just like the robbers do in this story. Long as you come when I expect you to come, you keep my sweet tea filled, then you're valuable to me. Otherwise, you're a piece of garbage just here to serve. God, help me not be like a robber. He says, there's some robbers out there. And then he says, there's also some other folks, the priests and the Levites, <clears throat> verses 31 and 32. By chance, a priest was going down on the road, and he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, he also passed by on the other side. 
You know, the priests and Levites, they looked at people and they said, you know what people are? You know what people are? <clears throat> people just filled with problems. And I ain't got time for that. And so they're indifferent. And they say people are just problems to be avoided. These religious people, they were looking and saying they're just problems to be avoided. And what was happening is they were looking forward to another church gathering. It's very possible they were walking away from a church gathering where we're praising Jesus with our lips. But then we... You see, see what happens to us. Here's, here's what happens to us. <clears throat> a lot of times we love going to church. We love going to church. But we don't love being the church. And that's who these guys were. Oh man, we, we, love, we love to talk about theology. I mean, there's some people, man, there's some people that know some theology. There's some people that love to get into a group, love to get into a small group and tell you everything from Genesis to Revelation. And the problem is, it's all right there, and there's nothing down here. And that's who these guys were. They were religious people that were avoiding a problem. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21, a lot of times what we do, that's exactly how we function. Proverbs 21 and in verse number 13. Hey, listen. He who shuts his ear to the cry of the poor will also cry himself and not be answered. You know what happens to us a lot of times is we look and we say, man, it's just, just too costly. It's just too costly. And, uh, and God help us. God help us in this story. When we look at this story, by the way, I'll tell you what I see in this story. You know, you know who that man is that's beaten and dead and helpless and hopeless on the side of the road? That was me. That was me. And you know who the Samaritan was that came along and took the time to pay the price, took the time that was necessary to tend to my needs when I couldn't take care of my needs? That was Jesus. And do you know that Jesus Christ stepped down from heaven and came to earth and endured indescribable persecution and a crucifixion to pay the price for you and for your stay and me and my stay. And what Jesus is saying is, hey, listen, listen. You go and do the same. You go and be a good neighbor to those who are out there in this world. You go and be the church. You go and be the church. A lot of times what we do as a church, man, we don't want to know. We just say, man, uh, ignorance is bliss. In fact, in fact, what happens to us is information leads to obligation. Do you understand? Information leads to obligation. When I know there's a serious situation then I have to make a decision. I can be indifferent and I can walk away or I can say, you know what, there's, there's, there's something that, there's great need and I need to take care of this. And so when, we, when we're presented with information, it leads to obligation. I mean, how are we going to respond to the information? In fact, it's interesting in the church and, and every church kind of faces these struggles along the way. Everybody wants to be a part of a church. Everybody wants to be a part of a church. Man, we want you to, here, here's the deal. These religious people said, man, we just, we love to hear it. We love to hear it. We want you to preach on, we want you to preach on evangelism, but don't ask me to share the gospel with anybody. 
Hey, we, we want you to preach on prayer, but don't ask us to pray. Hey, we, we want to be a part of a church that's reaching people with the gospel. We want to reach young families, but don't ask me to serve in the nursery. Hey, hey, we want to be growing, but don't ask me to give up my time in Sunday school. God help us. Is everybody all right this morning? <laughs> Lord, help me. Help me to see my own heart along the way. <clears throat> the religious leaders said, man, this just cost me too much. It cost me too much. I'm not willing to invest what it takes to be the hands and feet of Jesus. But then there's a Samaritan that comes along in verse number 33. And the Bible says, but a Samaritan was on a journey and he came upon him and when he saw him, he felt compassion. I believe that when you're reading through the story, the Bible says, but the Samaritan who was on a journey, he wanted to make it clear. Hey, listen, listen. He wasn't just out wasting time. He also had things to do. He also had places to go. He also had people to see. In other words, a lot of times we say, am I just too busy? Well, the Samaritan was, was, was busy too. In fact, he used the story of a Samaritan because a Samaritan was an enemy to these people that he's talking to. And a Samaritan was willing to go out there and reach across, across boundaries that are established by man so that he could show love. He says the Samaritan was on a journey and he came upon him and when he saw him he felt compassion and he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them, and he put him on his own beast. In other words, I'm willing to sacrifice. And he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. And the Samaritan was a good neighbor. The Samaritan was willing to be kind other people. Why? Because he saw value in others, even not like himself. You know, God help us. God help us to see the value in people, understanding that God created everybody, everybody, every person in his own image. And it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all may have eternal life. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love me and people like me, that look like me, act like me, dress like me. He loves the world. And God, help me to love the world. Help me to see people as he sees people. That's what the Samaritan did. It wasn't about a white helping a white, a black helping a black, a Hispanic helping a Hispanic. Man, red, yellow, black, white, they're all precious in his sight, just like the little song goes. And God, help us to get beyond and make sure that we're reaching out to people without discrimination. God, help us along the way. He was willing to deny himself. <clears throat> you know, when you're talking about being a follower of Jesus Christ, do you know that it's costly to be a follower of Jesus Christ? Oh, he paid the price for my sin, and I'm grateful to God for that. But when we're following him, it's, it's costly. We invest, we invest time, we invest material possessions. The Bible says in Matthew chapter number 16, Matthew 16 and verse number 24, the Bible says this, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, you want to be a follower of me? you got to deny yourself, 
In other words, it's not just taking care of me, myself, and I anymore. Sometimes I might even have to do without. You know, he says in the book of Romans to present yourselves as living sacrifices. Do you know the sacrifice is costly? I mean, that, that's what the term means. In other words, you, you can't have a sacrifice without being costly, else it wouldn't be a sacrifice. So you want, you want, to, you want to follow me? So, so, so just a serious, just, just a question for all of us to answer this morning. And nobody can answer this for you. You've got to answer this before God. When's the last time I sacrificed anything for Jesus' sake? When's, when's the last time I sacrificed anything for Jesus' sake? Time. Possessions. You know, this fella asked the question that began this story. He said, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Because he was looking for a loophole. <clears throat> That's the wrong question for a believer. A believer needs to ask the question, whose neighbor can I be? Whose neighbor can I be? In other words, when I'm faced with opportunity, I don't care who's living in the house next door to me. Let me rephrase that. I do care who's living next door to me. But that does not define one's neighbor in totality. My neighbor is whoever it is that I engage that may have need along the way. God, help me to be a faithful neighbor. Whose neighbor can I be? Whose neighbor can I be? Today is Compassion Sunday uh, in the life of our church family, this, this morning, next Sunday, and uh, Compassion Sunday. And, and why Compassion Sunday? Because it's just an opportunity to be a good neighbor. Uh, this is just one way that you can uh, be a good neighbor other people and so we just wanted to introduce you to an opportunity this morning when you're talking about who we are as American people um, it's 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 in some ways in some ways when you look at the waste that we have every day it's disgusting when you look at the rest of the world when you look around at the world and you see where we are and, and when, when our families get together and we talk about the things that we're bothered by, the things that we worry about, you know, what, 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 what we're bothered by is, hey, do I have the right brand of shoes? <laughs> when most of the rest of the world are saying, well, I have shoes. Do, do, do I get to wear the right style? <laughs> I'm bothered today because I don't have the right styles on. When the rest of the world's saying, man, I would love to have a shirt. We're really troubled by not getting to go to our favorite restaurant. Man, Los Amigos is closing down. What in the world are we going to do? <laughs> We're bothered. 
when there are families waking up this morning saying, God, will I have food to eat today? 2.2 billion. I mean, that number, you, you, our minds cannot comprehend the number. 2.2 billion people today will live life off of less than $2 today. <clears throat> One billion children live in poverty. What we like to do is say, hey, turn up the music and sing louder because this really makes me feel uncomfortable. Don't be like the priest and the Levite. There's need. There's need. 1.1 billion people today don't even have clean water to drink. Just for a drink of water. When we were in seminary, we had a, we lived in student housing up there, family housing, and um, we had a family from Africa who were studying here, and they had a little girl. She's about eight years old, and uh, we had all the kids in the backyard, and we set up our slip and slide. <laughs> and uh, there was a little girl from Africa that was standing by, and she was just watching, and she was troubled. The rest of the kids were having a blast. And uh, my wife went over to her and said, Hey, you, you, you want to you play on a slip and slide? And she said, But we're wasting the water. We're wasting the water. We don't think about those things because of the life that we live. But can I tell you something? God blesses us and comforts us not just so that we might be comfortable, although I'm grateful to God for the comforts that we do have, but so that we might be blessings and comforters of others. Have you been a good neighbor lately? Let me introduce you to compassion. It's just an opportunity to consider today being a good neighbor. program. 
So what we're asking you to do is prayerfully consider uh, being a part. An opportunity for you to be a neighbor uh, outside of our foyer right out here, or out there in the courtyard. Uh, there's some tables set up, and you can go by there. And uh, there's all different types of children from around the world, literally. My wife and I have one in Africa and one in South America. And, uh, but you have opportunity to adopt uh, a little child. And so we're asking you to prayerfully consider, God, would you have me, what would you have me do right now? Uh, and, and, so, and so it'll be out there today as well as next Sunday. And so uh, because, again, we want you to prayerfully consider, God, what part would you have me play in this ministry here? Uh, God, help me to be a good neighbor. Would y'all do me a favor and join me for a time of prayer this morning? <clears throat> and as we pray, I'm just asking you, hey, God, search, search my heart. Search my heart. Am I a good neighbor? And I'm not just talking about with compassion, but as I go, am I a good neighbor? Hey, let me ask you a question this morning. Have you answered that question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Have you called on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? The Bible says there's only one way to be saved. Jesus Christ himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. How do we come through him? By recognizing that I have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that he, God Almighty, took on flesh and became a man named Jesus. And he went to the cross as a substitute for me and for you. And he paid the price, my sin debt, in full. He conquered death in the grave. He's alive today. And it's when I receive that gift by faith that I'm saved, that I'm born again. And if you've never been born again, I'm inviting you today. It's not about coming to church. That doesn't save us. Adopting a child won't save you. Only Jesus saves so today, if you've never called on his name, I'm inviting you to call on his name. Oh God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this day. Thank you for the privilege that we've had to be able to gather today. And God, I pray that you'd search our hearts, Father. I pray that we'd be faithful before you in all things, God. Whether that be through Compassion International and adopting a child or maybe some children today. 
God, may we be obedient before you. But Lord, as we go, as we go, open our eyes to our neighbors. Father, they, they come all the time. And Father, I pray that we be found faithful. Help us. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your goodness to me that, God, while I was hopeless and helpless, God, you helped me, and you are my hope. Thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.